hyperspace sequence initiated. Hyperspace jump in five, four, three, two, one. This is Commander Kate Russell of the Slough Registered Cobra Hope Falls requesting docking clearance. Incoming priority message. Oh, welcome, Commander. We have you on approach. You're cleared to dock. Please proceed to docking bay 12. The landing charge of 50 credits has been deducted. Enjoy your stay. <sighs> Another ship from Slough. Frank, hit the button. Attention, attention, inbound ship, arriving from the Slough system, please calmly clear the docking port, this is not a drill, repeat, this, is, not a, drill. Level 10 radioactive protocols in place, all robotic decontamination crews, please proceed to docking bay immediately. Second technician Forrester, please proceed to docking port. And fresh from a challenging encounter with an overzealous decontamination droid, we have the long-term elite fan, BBC broadcaster, author of the business book Work in the Cloud, and now completed elite novel Mostly Harmless, welcome back to the Orange Sidewinder, Kate Russell. Hey, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm feeling good, strapped into the Orange Sidewinder. Um, obviously not here under duress this time, but uh, <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, we've even spring cleaned for you. How good is that? Now, I hope you didn't chuck it out of the, uh, what you spring cleaned out of the uh, garbage <laughs> chute into slough airspace. That's all I'm going to say. No, no we, ha we have a special recycling uh, box that we keep for, <laughs> for trips that we take to uh, down the M4. But no, we, we won't even start there because that's, uh, yeah, that, yeah, let's just not go there. No. <laughs> um, let's just start off with uh, congratulations on the completion of Elite Mostly Harmless. Yay, thank you so much. Wow, what a journey. What a journey. Well, it's not even over yet, but what a journey it's been. I was going to say, how does it feel to actually be finished? Do you know what? It's it's strange. I actually, part of me doesn't know what to do with myself now. It's like, <laughs> oh, I've got my weekends back. But um, I actually, I finished writing it and I I'd sort of I had to, had the um, audio book to record the following week but when I actually finished writing it and sent it over to um, Fantastic for the first sort of like proofing read I phoned up one of my friends and I said for the first time in two and a half mm -hmm. years I haven't got a writing deadline for a book because you know I did the, the business book yeah. which kind of overlapped for the first time I haven't got sort of a pressing book to write I, haven't, I don't have to write anything she was like great what are you going to do this weekend I said I'm probably going to do some writing <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I did I, I broke open my old uh, short short story folder and sort of started mulling over some of the ideas that I and I realized it's been two and a half years since I because I have this constant collection of ideas and, and documents I'm you know halfway through stories and planning things and I actually started reading through those and, and look back in my diary and realised it had been two and a half years since I just sat down at my computer and went, I'm going to write something, but not with a sort of a plan or a purpose or a, or a deadline on it. So it was kind of liberating to do some writing. <laughs> just for the sake of writing. Exactly. Just for the joy of it. Exactly. 
I mean, all of that sounds like it's been uh, you know, quite a, a, a positive experience, but a little birdie tells me you have booked a holiday for destinations far away. So that isn't a reflection on how difficult the journey's been then. No, do you know what? I'm a, I'm, I'm a nightmare. As I've just said, I finished writing the book and the first thing I did was sit down and do some more writing. So <laughs> I need to enforce a break from my technology from the internet from twitter facebook google plus uh, and all the rest of the things that kind of suck my attention up so i am going to meet a friend who lives over in australia and we are going as far away from a plug socket <laughs> and an internet wi-fi hotspot as we can get um so that i can actually just put down my technology and say no Nothing, and, and and maybe get some new sort of input and some new data and, and new content for the next sort of batch of whatever it is I'm going to work on. But yeah, I am forcing myself cold turkey <laughs> off technology, writing in the internet, um, and driving across Australia in a camper van, which will be very fun. That is hilarious. Okay, well, for the uh, for the odd stragglers out there that uh, have come to this journey halfway through, could you maybe give us a spoiler-free explanation about what Mostly Harmless is about? Sure. So Mostly Harmless is the story about the uh, and the worst assassin that the galaxy has ever known. Um, the story starts off, and I think you've got a teaser of the first chapter. So this isn't a spoiler to know that um, Angel Rose, uh, Commander Angel Rose, is a trader, but she's a kind of a risk-averse kind of person she just wants a nice quiet steady life doesn't want to be rich doesn't want to take on any dangerous missions but she as the story starts she has a series of disasters which leave her kind of backed into a corner where she ends up being pressured into becoming an assassin Um, but she's absolutely dreadful at it and throughout the book um, a series of of failed attempts or uh, just nightmare attempts to to actually um, christen her job as an assassin, and she's just rubbish at it. So it sounds absolutely great. Tell us a little bit about the process. I mean, it's been I would say two and a half years, so you must have a process sort of uh, nailed down at this point. Do you have a, like a, a strict word count that you keep to, or you know, a regime, or a, a, where you sit down and write, or do you literally just write when you're inspired? Well, I had actually. So I started writing um, this in March last. Well, I started working on this in March my, my kickstarter finished in February last year as you know and um in I but I had to finish my business book which was due to be published in March and so I kind of like pressed on with that and then in March I started properly thinking about mostly harmless and the first process was obviously planning out the chapters and getting the approval from frontier developments and that took a couple of months um then I'm because the story is a character story, um, meaning that it's it's not so much about the sort of political machinations of, you know, the the world and the environment. And, um, you know, it's not so much about the technology. It's more about the people and, and, and their experiences. So for me, developing the characters was really important. So I spent a lot of time working out their backstory, thinking about them, um, planning out who they were and and what experiences they'd had, a lot of which actually hasn't gone into the book, but, you know, goes to make a a more solid feeling character. As a kind of a a side effect, um, I ended up getting quite fit because I found that if I did have a bit of a writer's block or, or was sort of having trouble thinking through a character, I'd just go out for a run. 
Um, and yeah. while I was out running, all sorts of ideas would come to me and I just sort of record them down very quickly on my iPhone. So, yeah, I, I, as a side side uh, effect, I've, I've become a lot fitter than I was this time last <laughs> year. Um, but then I really started writing it, I guess, in May. And I had because I'm quite lucky that I'm, uh, you know, freelance uh, and I'd planned to do this three days a week so I had two days a week that I was working for the BBC three days a week I would work on mostly harmless and then occasionally I'd have other stuff that I'd need to do and then I'd shunt uh, a, a day's work into the weekend um, as it turned out I ended up you know procrastinating and faffing and and working <laughs> every weekend um, but I really spent three days a week on mostly harmless for, for the for the large part of that and and that was really I would sit down once I'd started writing the plan was to write and edit um, a chapter or two chapters a week um, and so I would normally sit down on a Monday go over what I'd written at the weekend do an edit and then start working on the next chapter um, and work on that on Monday finish it on the the well then Tuesday and Wednesday I'd be doing my BBC stuff then finish it on Wednesday on the Thursday and then edit it on the Friday so and then I would go back the next week and, and do that process again go back over what I'd written the week before make sure that it was all kind of like made sense still because I find sometimes you get too close to your writing so yeah. you need to sort of step back for a few days then go back and see if you understand what you wrote um <laughs> So, yeah, and it was really just a process like that. And um, in 28 chapters later, um, it all came together. Really, I think doing the Kickstarter and having to clear the story and the plot line with uh, Michael Brooks and Frontier Developments was really good because it meant that it was quite slow to start. But it did mean that you had a very clear idea of what the story was going to be before you started. And I... I don't normally do that when I write stories. I normally have a rough idea, but then I go off on tangents and end up getting tied up in knots and completely lost. So it was good to have that structure. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the relationships with Frontier in a little yeah. bit. But, I mean, obviously, you're already a published author. You've already got uh, Working in the Cloud out there, which is a, a business nonfiction yeah. uh, book. What was the difference between writing a, you know, a business uh, book as opposed to writing a pure piece of fiction? Um. Do you know, it's funny. I think I, even when I write my scripts for Click, I really believe that writing, whatever you're writing, if it's information, if it's reporting, if it's a business book, if it's an instruction manual, even it's a, it's you're kind of telling a story because unless you engage the reader, it's just you know, meaningless babble of words otherwise. So you really need to engage the reader with a narrative, um, even if it's not a fictional narrative. So in that respect, it wasn't really that much different because I was still trying to figure out, you know, the best and most engaging way to tell a story. Um, the the difference, the big difference is obviously when you're writing a fiction, it's very much, especially a, a character-based piece of fiction, it's very much about dialogue and about the people and their relationships and so I end up you know just reading things out loud and speaking things out loud so probably if my neighbours must think I'm an absolute lunatic because <laughs> um, I just and I remember actually I used to when I was living with a flatmate uh, many years ago and I wrote my first novel not published but I was um, and I would play act out the chapters and the scenes as I was writing them and and my my <laughs> My flatmate actually knocked on the door one day because I was seeing a, 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 a scene where the main protagonist gets attacked by a dragon and 
and it's kind of and she was like knocks on the door she said are you are you okay <laughs> I was like, oh no I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine it's, I'm not really being attacked by a dragon it's just you know so yeah I, I find it quite um quite therapeutic to sort of act out um the and then occasionally just put on the music really 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 loud and have a dance <laughs> <laughs> I mean talking about engaging the readers I mean you're uh, novel actually had a, an extra level of complexity because you wanted to engage your your Kickstarter backers because you had uh, various pledge rewards that would allow them to have be referenced in the yes. book and you also had your your nosy Parker group. Well, yeah, how did that <laughs> pan out as part of your uh, your book? Did you manage to get everybody in? And you know, well, how has that journey been for the nosy Parkers? Maybe? When I when I formulated the Kickstarter, so I had um, attention seekers that I said 200 of you will get a mention and it will just be a partial mention, you know, maybe part of your name will be a name in a ship or, or, or you know, you might be a drink or you might be, you know, whatever, a fleeting character or a mention of a character. Um, and I was like, yeah, it'd be no problem. No problem at all. Um, and then the, the the other character ones where you get to name a character that's, I think I had three, uh, three the top tier was three people get to name a character that's going to die a horrible death. Um, <laughs> five people got to give me a, a random piece of in, input that I had to put in. So they gave me very random things to include. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Uh, there were a couple of other character ones as well. The main higher tier character ones actually were okay. Um, I got some kind of curveballs in the random input. Somebody wanted me to mention a stuffed meerkat, um, which, as you can imagine, in a space trading uh, <laughs> novel is a little bit random. But um, I think the, the story was random enough for that for me to, to not have too much of a problem. All the way through writing the book, I put... Whenever I came across anything that could be one of my 200 attention seekers mentions, I put XX and just put, you know, a thing. So I, the plan was when I finished the book to go back through it and then insert all of my uh, 200. When I finished the book and I sat down and I pulled out all of these names and I sat there thinking about it and I, suddenly I got the fear of goodness knows what, the fear of the creator. I was like, geez, I've got to put... 200 200 things in here how am I gonna do that um but actually it was okay it was okay I, you know there were some random things that I had to do in order to achieve it which you will see when it comes out but uh, having had the fear about it once I got halfway through the list and realized that I was halfway through the chapters I was like oh okay this is going to be okay I was going to say I mean you've obviously put xxx through for all of those was there not a moment at the end of the book where you finished it and you go okay find xxx and you go there and you figure out that you've only got I don't know 47 uh, examples of xxx and you need to find 200 no well the, I didn't actually do that I, I I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that because that would have been quite scary <laughs> if I'd have done that but um I was kind of lucky in that you know I had said you know it may only be a partial mention of something so you know towards the end there's one ship name which has got sort of like you know it's a very random ship name with uh, five people's names sort of like shoehorned into it in a, in a strange way uh you know and, and at the end there's a pirate clan as well and it's you know the pirate clan name has four names in it and the, the boss of it has three <laughs> names in it so you know there was kind of like random things like that going on which um, you know sort of made it a lot easier um, but no I didn't once I got halfway through I was really kind of like yeah this is going to be okay these are these are slotting in nicely DJ Fozza is in there Excellent. DJ Fozza is in there so um, 
yeah it's it was it was a, it was a good experience and I was really happy that I was able to do that because I think and, and I've noted down as well I've got I've got a spreadsheet with everybody's names and the page and the chapter that they appear on so I can direct everybody to their mentions if they if they if they're confused about where they are but I think everybody should recognize themselves in it. I was so. going to say surely all those people are going to be committed enough to be able to read through your book and, and find their own reference surely. I hope so. I hope so. So we'll see. We'll see how many people get in touch with me. <laughs> well, before we before we just leave that point, I did reach out to the community and ask for some questions to put to you that uh, right. maybe I hadn't thought of myself. And uh, it's probably a good point to ask this one, which was, what was the smallest, most insignificant pledge reference that you put in the book? Smallest, most insignificant? I know. I thought that when I got the question, but That's community a... asked. Mm, okay. Um... Probably the stuffed meerkat. Uh, somehow, a stuffed meerkat doesn't it sound was... like a small, insignificant uh, reference to me. It's yeah. It's I would say probably the the stuffed meerkat. I mean, everybody or, or of the um, uh, attention seekers, the two hundred. We'll just call them the two hundred from now on. Of the two hundred, they all got either their first or their last name as either a first or a last name character or part of a ship name or you know so everybody was in there um there were a couple of people who put company names which i thought was a little (laughs) bit kind of cheeky um but it was actually quite entertaining reading through the and i said this actually i sent an update out after i'd done it saying for the people who filled in their surveys saying when I sort of put in the section, oh, for your attention seeker mention, what name would you like that to be? Um, and then, you know, I had people sort of like saying, uh, Reginald D. Bloody Bar Smith the Fifth, um, and can he have a beard and a and a, and a bullshit? And it was just, I was just like, I can't actually give you full characters, for t- you know, because the be whole book would yeah, just absolutely. be a, a description of, of two hundred people's characters. So I think some people slightly misunderstood the the, the level of uh, of mention they were going to get for twenty five quid plus an audiobook. So, um, but um, I hope they won't be disappointed. I think I have I had fun putting them in there as well, and I got to use another spreadsheet, which is you know I live to do spreadsheets. So rather you than me, but it it sounds like it's been a fun <laughs> journey. Um, well, okay, so that that's been the fun side of it. Maybe move on to uh, yeah, what were the challenges that you faced during writing? Do you ever get yourself sort of written to corners? Do you ever get writer's block? Yeah, do you know, it was kind of one of the things I love writing. I really, really love writing. But it was a bit weird having to sit down on a Monday morning at nine o'clock. And and I still my, the rest of my life had to go on as well. So although I managed to sort of put aside two to three days a week to do writing, I still had to do things like take conference calls about, you know, business presentations that were upcoming at conferences and stuff. Um, and, you know, it it was a bit weird. I found myself one day, one Monday, writing a scene where somebody, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but somebody, and I think I tweeted about it as well, um, where somebody gets their guts spilled in zero G. And I'd had to Google, you know, what, what someone's small intestines would look like as they unraveled in zero G and, and uh, you know, what the effect of, of blood would do if you were sort of like thrashing around in a zero g environment and all this stuff and then writing a descriptive passage and then I had to take a conference call about an education (laughs) uh conference that I was supposed to be presenting to a bunch of kids about careers in IT and it was just switching from that to that on a Monday afternoon 
was just a bit random at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd want to go through your history on your browser if that's the sort of stuff you're having to look up. No, and actually I did a big, um, I did a big redux uh, of the NSA prison scandal last year, around about the time I started researching this, and I can imagine the NSA were probably already looking at my... Uh, <laughs> at my uh, internet history so yeah goodness knows what they think about me uh, probably about the same as what my neighbors think about me <laughs> that might actually answer the next question as well but um, has anything su surprised you as you've been creating uh, mostly harmless has any sort of anything about the story or the characters changed during the process of writing um yeah the characters were quite well developed so not so much the characters but one of the things that did surprise me was as I started recording the audiobook and I wanted to apply character voices to not not kind of anything too over the top but you know just subtle differences so you know when I'm saying when I'm reading different characters um, and we recorded the the audiobook in one read and then I went back and did all of the characters I highlighted the whole script with different colors for the different characters and went went through and did just the character voices and um one of my main characters dread catherine who's one of the pirates ended up having a very uh she's kind of got a, a husky french accent a bit like this and i was like where did that come from <laughs> so yeah the, but I, I really find, and I've always found this with writing, is the characters take on a life of their own and they start, you know, sort of speaking to you and things. Like there was at one point, um, Angel and her crew were kind of about to leave Slough and, and they were stuck in Slough. And suddenly there was this kind of like a message came over the, the intercom saying, Angel, it's your mother. And Angel was like, oh, shit, what, 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 um, what channel is she on? And the the... As I wrote it, I didn't even know what was going to happen. But the the, the controller was like, uh, no, she's not on the comms link. She's here. And I didn't know that as I wrote that, I didn't know it was happening. So that was kind of the, the, that's the way stories, I think, when you get really inside a story, they really begin to take on a life of their own, you know, and, and the characters actually do things that surprise you. And you're kind of like, oh, where did that come from? And then you've just got to keep writing because you, you don't know what's going to happen next. So... Yeah. Does that sound weird? No, it doesn't sound weird. It sounds brilliant, if I'm honest. I think that's uh, that's great. And, I, th th you know, you can see that's the joy for the writer, for the author, you know, being taken on the journey. Yeah, definitely. It's just, the story unravels itself. And I think if you do enough planning of characters and the main story arcs, then uh, a lot of that, I think your, your subconscious works out a lot of the details. You know, when I went running and stuff like that, and suddenly these ideas would come to me, I'd be like, wow, where'd that come from? So yeah, it's your subconscious brain kind of uh, enjoys the journey as well, I think. We've already mentioned about the fact that, you know, you spoke regularly with uh, Frontier Developments and Michael Brooks in particular, but how has that relationship developed over the months? I mean, have Frontier released any information or details that's made you rethink anything that's happened in the book? Or have they you know, released information about game assets that uh, has caused you to change anything in the novel? Oh, it was a nightmare. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> they are the best and Michael's the best. And, and I just absolute kudos to, to him for approving my final draft so ridiculously quickly. So that's just, he's awesome, beyond awesome. But I actually had to stop myself. And I think Drew said the same thing as well. Around about uh, October, 
middle of October, when they really started, lots of information started coming out of Frontier suddenly, lots of detail, technical details about spacesuits and about Remlock masks and, you know, and all the rest of this kind of ferromagnetic um, uh, floor coverings and, and all of these technical details started coming out. And I found myself for about three weeks, I didn't make any progress on the story because I kept, every time a newsletter came out, I was like, oh, that's a really great thing. I'm going to put that in and then I'd have to go back and, and you know, and put the details of it in. And I actually got to the point where I was like, I'm not going forwards anymore because every every newsletter they send out, I'm going back over and, and putting stuff in. So I made myself stop reading the newsletters for a couple of months and just stored them up so that I could get on with actually just getting the main story down because the small technical details that you add in you know you can add them in afterwards yeah and I needed to just move forwards with it so yeah so I did that and then I sort of had a marathon catch-up of the newsletters um and and sort of put extra information in but um also the the um fight the flight scenes uh, and fight scenes I through the whole book I just wrote um fight scene in here you know and just wrote a summary of what's going to happen um and what the what the the sort of like the ship based sort of scene was going to be but then thought I'm not even going to try I'm not even going to bother <laughs> trying to write it until I've played the alpha and I know how it feels and I know what it looks like so that brings us beautifully on to the next question I had for you which is you know have you had a chance to play the alpha and and do you think you've actually managed to portray the game experience uh, faithfully in Mostly Harmless? Yeah I think so I think so I mean again it's a character story it's not you know it's not a space combat story it's not about um, so much about the the physical world as the people within it so I have um, I guess uh, probably four scenes throughout the book where I describe in some detail the process of flying and um, hyper jumping. Um, I've got three fight combat flight scenes. Um, I've got a, a scene where they approach an asteroid, uh, which is a, a, the pirate base. So there, there are sort of elements through the book which really um you know come from within the cockpit but beyond that it's it's more more to do with the the people and and their relationships with each other and I think I'm pretty happy with it you know I'm pretty happy with it the final draft came back from Michael with hardly any uh really I mean I think I had maybe 24 edits from him and they were you know things like I'd, I'd said a word and it was, it was a different word that it needed to be um but really technically there wasn't any any kind of major issues with the with the plot so yeah crikey that must have been a huge sigh of relief was it ever yeah definitely <laughs> and what was even more of a sigh of relief was how quickly he got back to me having read it because uh, you know it was all kind of getting a bit last minute um with my audio recording uh, and I was like oh well you know we'll, we'll record it and then I can always go back in but he got back super quickly which is brilliant so yeah, we're hearing that a lot about the audiobooks. It seems to be, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely sort of trying to race uh, race through the production of them at the moment, so, which is great. It mm. just means that it's all going to be done. It's all going to be done on time. But uh, moving on to yeah, the audiobooks, uh, you've talked about the relationship that you have with you know, Frontier Developments, but obviously you've got a, uh, a publishing partner. You've got fantastic books. What, yeah. was the, uh, what was the partnership, the relationship with them like as going through? Do you know what? An absolute blessing totally completely because I was getting to the end you know I was like oh I'm gonna do it 
do it and it's fine I'll be you know I'll be all right I can do it um but I hadn't really even got my head around thinking about the technical aspects of contacting people who could you know do the 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 proofreading and the editing and the copy typesetting you know the cover design and uh the physical production of the paperback book and the hardback book um the audio book I'd already got in contact with a production company to um, record it but I hadn't really thought about the production side of it and about getting sound effects uh or you know, even down to whether or not I could use logos and stuff on covers. And and it, in my book, I start my book with a with a poem um, from uh, well, it's actually a, a, a an excerpt from um, uh, the Pilgrim, um, and it's the Slough of Despond, and it's from eighteen. It was recorded. No, I think it's from sixteen seventy or something like that. Um, and then at the end, I've done an an homage to uh, Sir John Betjeman's um, friendly bombs, come friendly bombs and, and fall on slough. Um, and, you know, I didn't even really know where I was going to start with finding out whether or not I was allowed to use those. Mm. And it's just been really just super nice having somebody just to be at the end of an email saying, can I do that? <laughs> You know, is that okay? And, and can we do this? And, and, and Dan's just beyond brilliant. He's like a real just he gets his hands in the muck up to his shoulders <laughs> never mind his elbows I mean you saw the pictures of him down um putting the the studio the audio studio together with Chris yeah he's just, absolutely he's just an absolute legend they all are so and it's I can't when I signed with them I didn't realize how much stress I'd been putting on myself about the upcoming jobs once I finished the writing and and to to be able to do that last hundred yards of the writing and recording the audiobook in the knowledge that actually that's my bit done now yeah. for the most part it's been just such a relief so yeah I I can't even begin to thank them enough they are beyond awesome well maybe focusing on the audiobook then um, mm. are you a fan of uh, audiobooks have you done anything like this before. I love audiobooks. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. In fact, I've just downloaded about 14 audiobooks to take with me to Australia. So, um, yeah, I'm super, super love audiobooks. I I don't know if you remember, but I when I did the Kickstarter and we started working out the stretch goals, I recorded one of my short stories as an <laughs> audio on, on just using um, my little podcasting mic and um, uh, Audacity. And I used that as a teaser. So I kind of knew that I could read a story okay, one, especially one that I've written. And, I, of course, I've done voice recording for, for my job for nearly 20 years now. Yeah. So I know what my voice sounds like. Um, I think a lot of people kind of step back from recordings of themselves because they don't think they sound like that. So it kind of is, it puts <laughs> them off, you know. Yes. Whereas I know what I sound like. I hear myself forever forever every week so um yeah I was I was kind of I was looking forward to it um and I thought that I would be able to 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 tell a good story the most nerve-wracking thing was actually the the the, when I started reading it the engineer who recorded it who coincidentally was also called Chris um he was the first person to hear it and I was really nervous about him hearing my story 
and when I sort of noticed that he was chuckling in all the right places and, and he was following the plot, you know, and a couple of times he said to me, oh, are you sure that you want to say that because didn't back in that chapter she that happen? I was like, oh, you're actually following it. He was like, yeah, no, it's really good. So I was like, oh, OK, that that made me feel much better about it. So I was really excited by that. Brilliant. I can't wait for people to hear it. And the other thing in my Kickstarter um, which uh, for the for the audiobook was that uh, the creator himself, Mr. David Braben, very kindly agreed to um, participate in a cameo role, and he sent me his recording last week. And can I just say, he rocks <laughs> you know, for a, for a geeky programmer guy who's not used to sort of you know doing recordings and 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 audiobooks and stories. It was brilliant. I was like. Oh, this is just absolutely perfect, and I think people are going to find it amusing. Well, I must admit, I'm one of these people that can't stand spoilers, but I'm desperate, absolutely desperate to know what David Braben has recorded for your book. Not going to tell. <laughs> Not going to tell. There's a couple of nice little twisty things going on at certain points, and, um, yeah, you're going to have to gonna have to listen to it from start to finish. Well, which I'm going to do anyway, but I just want to do it now, Kate, now. <laughs> I know, me too, me too, seriously. Well, okay, well, how about um, what comes next then? So, obviously, when does the when do your Kickstarter backers uh, receive for the finished product? So, we're now waiting for, everything's ready to go. Um, the, the manuscript is finished, it's going through the final just proofreading, which is just checking for typos and, and you know, spelling errors and things, but... The book is finished. The audio book is finished recording. Now Chris is going to go through and do his production magic, putting in sound effects. And 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 uh, by the way, as well, Alan Stroud's already written a little bit of music, which you'll hear in the the taster chapter one. Um, but he's going to sort of you know do do the music and stuff. So there's quite a lot of production work to go on the audio books yet. Um, but really, what we're we're waiting for now is the game, <laughs> because we can't you know it. it the whole plan with with Fantastic was to get all of the books ready to go when the game launched. And the game was supposed to launch, in all this fairness, month. this month. <laughs> Whether that's going to happen or not is um, I'm not going to comment. But we're ready to go when the game's ready to go. And I'm pretty sure our backers um, will understand that we're not going to obviously uh, be able to release the games the, the books before the game substantially because the whole thing really needs to happen at, at one time for the maximum impact and fun factor so i think that that's the plan is to uh maybe we're just all going to go and camp out on frontiers <laughs> front stoop now saying get on with it <laughs> i was going to say don't give dan any ideas like that because you know what will happen he will be there the following week if you thought that was going to make a difference that's exactly what he would do so uh yeah. well, what about um what about book promotion tours and obviously we've got some community events uh coming up now that the we're pretty we're pretty certain that the <laughs> the game is not going to be released in march we've still got the the last alpha coming we've got the premium beta then the normal beta and then we'll have have a, a period of gamma as well so we've got a little bit of time on our hands so we've got the, the LaveCon event coming up in July you've got Fantasticon coming up as well what's mm -hmm. are you going to be present at any of those oh yes 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 everything everything and everything I've put it all in my diary already uh I was bothering you actually for hotels I think last week already booked my hotel for um Fantasticon so I'm going up on the Friday night. I'm going to have a really good full day there on the Saturday. And I think I'm staying the Saturday night as well. So um, I'm there for the long run, uh, planning to do 
signings, readings, fun and gamings. I, I'm going to dominate the Oculus Rift um, if I can. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put on my my sort of uh, my tube riding elbows to stop anyone else coming in and having a go. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, what about? Um, I mean, I know I've already got a few emails and a few questions when I went to the community saying, you know, they're already convinced that Mostly Harmless is going to be fantastic. Really? What about the possibility of a sequel? Have you even started thinking about the possibility <laughs> of a sequel if these are successful? When these are successful? Oh, bless you. Well, I'd love to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot will depend, obviously, on on, on um, uh, Frontier and whether or not, because there is no guaranteed uh, license to write further fiction based in the game world. Um, that was all in the contracts that was all left open to negotiation. So um, it, I definitely, given the chance, I love my characters, uh, you know, the, the main characters. I've killed quite a few of them, to be fair. Um, so, <laughs> But one of the things I was really proud of as well is that it's not... I've really tried for it to be a story that had a bit more depth than just sort of, you know, a girl meets boy, you know, uh, doing all this sort of like the usual feminine trope of, you know, the damsel trope. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I, I wanted my, my yeah. female characters to be strong and interesting and not to be completely dependent on my male characters. I wanted my male characters to be quirky and different. Um, and I think I'm happy with the little rabble. I, I, killed off a few people and i'm happy with the ones <laughs> i killed off um but the ones who are left living um i think they have other stories to tell so if i was given the opportunity uh to um engage in a license for a second piece of fiction then definitely um i would go for it yeah for sure and what i would really love to do actually because one of the things when I did the Kickstarter, it was all very last minute and I kind of like threw an idea together for a plot, um, which I then kind of felt a little bit beholden to stick to, to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I would perhaps have liked a little more time to come up with uh, a, a, a fuller idea for a story, if that makes sense. I just, I don't think I've sort of, you know, it's not an empty story by any means, but I would like to spend a bit of time developing an idea for a story before committing to the main story arc if you see what I mean I think there yeah, are no completely that makes absolute sense so yeah I would I would love the opportunity to do that and, and if I had the opportunity to do that um then I would uh, I would spend a good sort of two three months thinking about a really really good story before pitching it out there as an idea rather than what happened with the kickstarter which was um, it all happened in like two weeks. It was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've now made me ever so slightly nervous because you've said there that you've actually killed off quite a lot of characters. And I know that uh, I placed at the attention seeker level and I know that DJ Fozzer is going to be in there. So my question is, does DJ Fozzer die horribly for making up the joke about dumping radioactives in slam? I'm afraid I can't divulge that information. Oh, no. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm the one who has his intestines blown out in zero G. Oh, no. I've changed my mind. I don't want to read the story now. I, 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 I had some. <laughs> do you know what? When I was reading certain scenes, my um my audio recording guy Chris kind of like I remember one scene in particular, and he turned to me. I finished recording it, and I kind of I got quite excited. And I do. I kind of get quite excited when I'm reading it and, and go with the flow of the story. And when I finished it, I kind of took a deep breath, and then he just sort of like clicked the. Uh, intercom on and went 
you're a tro- troubled child. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I probably am. <laughs> he was laughing when he said it, but yeah, yeah, troubled child. I am indeed. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're going to wrap this up. But before we do, just a quick a couple of questions left. Um, if you could do it all over again, is there anything that you would uh, do differently or would you approach differently? I would come up with the idea. I would start thinking about the idea for the story a few months before the Kickstarter. Yeah, I just would have <laughs> had a clearer idea, I think, uh, of what I was committing myself to before planning out. I don't know if that would have changed much, actually, but um, yeah. But, oh, by the way, can I just say as well, because we were going to talk about it, but we haven't mentioned them. The My Nosy Parker people. Yeah. Can I just do a massive, massive shout out to them? Because they have been the rock that has kept me on my feet and upright and you know whenever I did have moments of doubt or got a little bit stuck with you know sort of ideas for funny little twists and turns and I would go to them and say has anyone got any ideas for this um or you know oh I've got my head stuck in the sand at the moment I don't really know where I'm going and they've just been so amazing and supportive and creative and very funny they just kept me laughing they're ridiculously funny as well so I massive shout out to all of them because they they have kept me real and kept me on track this whole year and a half so I couldn't have done it without them and how many people in the Nosey Parker group I think there were 11 and did the full 11 stay with you for the entire year there was they were all in there I think some of them were lurkers um, <laughs> um, but there was uh, five or six of them were very, very active and always there. You know, I would do the, the shout out on the Google group and go, ah, what's, you know, and even down to the point of when I was considering um, going to with Fantastic and I was sort of sent, sent a note saying, what do you guys think? Should I go with Fantastic uh, book publishing? And they were like, and they didn't just go yes or no. They kind of talked out the options with me and said, well, what, are, you know, what are the pros? What are the pros? What are the cons? What's this? Da, da, da. So, yeah, it was just every writer needs a Nosy Parker group. And if I did it again, I'd probably pay them to, to, to be my consultants. Every writer should have one. I can't recommend it highly enough. Every author should have a Nosy Parker focus group. Yeah, exactly. It was a fo- It's like a focus group. They were brilliant. Well, I might have actually just given you, uh, that might have just sort of segued nicely into a, an easy answer for the next question, which was, out of the whole journey so far, the whole journey that is elite coming back after 30 years, uh, what has given you your biggest smile? I think probably, actually, the biggest the biggest moment for me throughout this whole journey is realising that David Braben was following me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> sad as it may be you don't understand this guy this man is a god to me without oh i do understand without this game i would have been in juvenile detention for the latter part of my childhood and would probably be locked up in holloway for some heinous crime against the states right now so he turned it all around for me and i was you know i mean i went to to speak in front of a bunch of um, 16 to 18 year olds at Euro Disney for um, uh, uh, it was called it's called the Euro Euro Study Tours, and there were 650 16 to 18 year olds in this sort of big um, venue, and I was speaking to them about careers in IT, and you know I stood up there and I said it was the thing that made me love technology and made made me into the person I am today was playing this video game at a time when I'd flat out 
rejected education um you know and I was able to stand there in front of these kids and say look it doesn't matter if you're not academically gifted it doesn't matter if you can't learn facts and regurgitate them in exams if you can find something that you care about and gives you uh, you know sparks your imagination and and engages your brain then you can make a career of it and and for me that was for me that was elite did that for me so just to be involved in some small way in um you know the process of it kind of metamorphosizing into what it's going to be which is what it always should be which is a shit hot game sorry for my language but it's graphically gorgeous multiplayer online just ridiculously i can't wait for it and i to be involved is like a dream come true it sounds really corny doesn't it but it, it is not at all Kate. not at all in fact I think that sounds like a perfect place to finish this interview so I'm going to say thank you very much for your time thank you thank you and thank you to you guys for your continued support you you're all just you work tirelessly um for nothing other than the joy of doing it and there needs to be more people in the world like you so thank you <laughs> thanks Kate and thank you as well for the teaser trailer that everybody's just about to listen to I think it's absolutely fantastic and if it's just a little snippet about what we can expect from your audiobook, uh, I think we're in for a great time. So thank you very much, Kate, and we will catch up with you soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. The Slough of Despond from John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. This miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run, and therefore it is called the slough of despond. For still, as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there ariseth in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them get together and settle in this place, and this is the reason for the badness of this ground. the nav panel as she watched the riveted moor of the space station hurtling towards her through the heads-up display. Hope don't fail me now, she said through gritted teeth, as she grappled with the roll and yaw levers, scissoring them apart at the same time as pumping on alternate thrusters to jiggle her rear end into line. Hope. That was a laugh, thought Angel, with about as much humour as a hologram in a power cut. Her mother had named the cobra Hope Falls after the district she grew up in back on New Saturn, 40 light-years away. It often seemed more of a narrative to Angel than a ship's name. You need to straighten up, Commander, and you're coming in too fast. Angel could hear the rising tension in the controller's voice as she thumped the power supply, cursing at it through tight lips. It crackled indignantly, and the nav panel finally winked on again, the holographic view of her approach wiring itself back together on the dash right in front of her eyes. 
I know. Calm down, Rachel. I just lost my eyes for a sec. Everything's under control. Angel used her left foot to tow the thrusters into reverse. Engines roared and the outer hull moaned. Don't expect me to dock from this angle without hammering the shields, it seemed to be saying. Shit. Angel stamped harder on the thruster and leant into the starboard roll. The irony was, if she could get the damn thing into port any time soon without busting up her equipment, she might be able to afford a new docking computer. Her last one had been knocked out in the backwash of a kinetic blast when she'd jumped out of hyperspace right in the middle of a raging battle between an Imperial cruiser and a band of heavily armed pirates. Er, Commander Rose... She could see the engineer's face through the control deck window now, bleached out by halogen lamps and worry. Neon ad hoardings outside the window screamed at Angel to get running lean with JPS MTEK Exobyte SCL 411 spikes today or insist on Anthony Collins towel ties for unbeatable dental fusion. They flushed the pale face in the control window on and off with vivid red as her dark eyes flipped back and forth between the desk and the rapidly approaching vessel. Her equally red lips made an O that looked like it was expecting trouble. Angel checked her velocity. Uh, Yeah, you'd better nip into the airlock, Rachel, just in case. Resigned now to at least some structural damage, she flipped a couple of switches and reached for her EVA helmet, twisting it into place around her neck. It was old and grubby, but if push came to shove and she breached the hull, at least she wouldn't waste a Remlock survival mask too. Those things were painful expensive to recharge. The helmet hissed and her ears popped as the bay controller retreated behind several feet of solid lead. She was on her own now as she hurtled towards the cavernous docking hangar. Her arm muscles burned, the atrophy of three months at space making it much harder to stay in control as she fought to keep the ship's rotation in absolute sync with the station. As little as two degrees off and your vapour, even deploying an escape pod would be pointless as it would just ricochet off the edge of the letterbox entrance to the spaceport, cracking open like an egg as the rest of the ship exploded about your ears. She flicked her eyes to the console. She was half a degree off, tops. The worst, the absolute worst she could do was fracture the hull. But she hoped her ship was tougher than that. It usually was. The entrance screamed towards her through the HUD, but she held her course and switched her thruster foot to the top of the pedal, ready to tap it into neutral. She was coming in hard and fast and burning way too much fuel, but she'd landed worse approaches than this. You might say it was her speciality. She flipped the engines to neutral and immediately stomped on the wing flaps with both feet. There was a loud groaning sound as her ship scraped through the slotted entrance of the dock. A fuse on her console popped with a spray of electricity and the portside aft shield indicator sunk to 14%. Her heart sunk with it. There goes a stack of creds, she thought. But then the scraping sound turned into a ripping sound she wasn't so familiar with. She craned her neck to the left, just in time to see a data-band aerial go flying off into the vacuum of space, trailing behind it a decimated maintenance pod and what looked like a box of chicken drumsticks. She swallowed, hoping there wasn't an engineer in that pod, and then the left wing clunked one last time and her ship shuddered violently as one of the port-side landing lights joined the escape party into oblivion. 
Angel's body was wrenched painfully forward as the station's birthing computer took control of the situation, lighting up her flight console with the emergency brake pattern at the exact same moment as the artificial gravity in the loading bay kicked in. It wasn't much, about half a G, as this made loading and unloading heavy cargo bins much easier, but it was enough to make sure she ended up with an uncomfortable amount of Kevlar webbing wedged somewhere unmentionable. Ouch! She yanked the harness out from between her thighs, watching as the shield indicator continued its downward journey all the way to zero before going completely dark. Inter-bloody galactic, she said, feeling anything but. She punched the harness release in the centre of her chest and hauled her body, uncharacteristically heavy after so long in zero-g, towards the hatch. The airlock on the control deck opened up and engineer Rachel Hanandrew peered out checking the state of her latest arrival. Nice work, Commander, she said, words crackling with sarcasm through the comms link inside her helmet. OK, genius, it's only a flesh wound. I didn't even breach the hull. Angel turned and leant into the rack of life support tanks by the door, snapping one into place on her back. She might be back in limited gravity, but there was still no Atmos in the spaceport hangar not until the loading airlock was fixed around the cargo bay doors and the chamber had been purged. The air around her head hissed again as her flight suit pressurised and she popped the cobra's hatch, ignoring the extending foot ladder and gently leaping down onto the landing pad below. Once she was clear, the engineer started the loading tunnel mechanism, which clamped into place onto the side of the cobra. The engines farted rapidly cooling gas as the chamber filled with air. Once the cargo bay area was secure, the lower airlock hissed and Rachel ducked through the circular hole it left, tapping on her tablet. Angel had already extracted her head from the helmet and was raking fingers across her dirty blonde fuzz of hair, cropped tight against her scalp to avoid any silliness with equipment entanglements working in zero gravity. Well, it's an improvement, I guess. You're lucky Frank Kenrick was taking a piss, or you'd be out there fishing for a dead broadcast technician too. I am going to have to bill you for the aerial, though. Do you know how much those things cost? Angel looked at the engineer with open despair. What? Oh, come on. It wasn't my fault. The, the cargo hold is practically empty, and I forgot to recalculate my maths. It's an easy enough mistake. Rachel sighed, ready for a string of unconvincing excuses. And why, pray tell, when you left here with half a tonne of iridium and enough marble to make a small moon, would you be returning with a practically empty hold? Angel went back to extracting herself from her heavy space gear. Bastard economy is what. Salinas 3 is at the tail end of a vicious drought, and there's a lot of demand for consumables in Salinas right now. Plus, Mervon sent in a fleet of anacondas two days before I arrived, and all they left was a few bolts of rare silk and a weekend pass to Pog Hobdonia. The engineer looked up from her inventory tab. Pog Hobdonia? Angel nodded absently, absorbed now in systematically unclipping her flight suit. You went to Pog Hobdonia? Angel stopped and looked at the engineer, whose cheeks flushed pink. It doesn't live up to the hype, you know. I know. The engineer blushed harder and went back to her digi-work. She pulled the lever that unwinds the cargo bay ramp and peered inside. Nice, pink, she grimaced, scanning the bolt of silk cloth before closing the hatch back up. Value? 
12,000 credits? The engineer raised her eyebrows into a sceptical M. Angel nodded. It happens to be very rare, and until I sell it, I can't pay for any repairs. She tilted her head towards her damaged wing before mumbling almost inaudibly, and any extras like data-band aerials. Rachel bit her bottom lip, which was trying to protrude like it used to when they were cadets. Fine, so I'll take the heat again. You just do what you want, Angel. You usually do. And who am I to argue? Your dad equals my boss. I get the dynamic. Hey, Angel stopped for real this time and caught the engineer by the elbow. Look, I'm sorry, OK? I've had a rubbish trip. Three months at space and all I have to show for it is 400 metres of pink material and a fading UV tan. I'm told the cloth is worth enough to fill my hold with iridium twice over, as long as I can find the right buyer. Here, in Slough, where life is about digging metal out of rock and serving heavy time, neither of which you want to be doing dressed in baby pink silk, for many reasons. Rachel glared at her uncharacteristically. I'll mark the cloth as pending. Angel let go of her elbow and started packing up her bag. Well, whatever. If I manage to make a good trade, I'll buy you another aerial, Rachel. But right now I have no clue where I'm going to find a buyer, so I'm going to find a drink instead. Oh, well, you'll be on familiar territory there at least, Rachel said, swiping the lighting grid on her tablet before heading out of the airlock, leaving Angel to finish packing up in the dark. Half an hour later, Angel was entrenched in her favourite booth at Anna and Roland's Zen Garden, a half-finished Glasgow hull stripper in front of her. She gazed out at Slough through the observation panels lining the upper wall. The planet turned lazily through her view. It looked rather beautiful from this distance, a glazed and hazy purple that belied the true nature of the barren, poisonous atmosphere on the surface. Angel took another slug of the poison sitting in front of her and grimaced as it burned a path down to her empty stomach. What her body really needed right now was a spin and a large bowl of carbs, but her head was in control and it was planning to get as obliterated as possible so that it could forget how screwed she was. She watched as a hypergravity pod spun its merry way down towards the purple hunk of a planet below. She grimaced again, the passengers would be strapped into their bio-bays, contemplating eight hours of torture as they headed down to the Stokes, two kilometres below. Down there, the gravity was one and a half G. It was punishing, hard and heavy, surrounded by rock and metal and the constant banging and clanking of diggers and cutters. To prepare their bodies, visitors were spun at two and a half G all the way down in those pods. Angel shuddered. It was like riding a spinning teacup with an elephant sitting on your chest for eight hours straight. She swallowed the last of her hole stripper and slid the empty glass onto the refill mat. The NFC terminal by the condiment holder beeped and flashed a depressingly low number at her in amber. Yeah, I know. She was closer to broke than she'd ever been. She didn't need a machine to tell her that. A couple of minutes later, Anna bustled up to the booth and smoothly replaced her empty with a full. That was quick. Are you going to eat? Angel pulled the full glass towards her and stuck a grease-stained finger into it, jangling the ice cubes. At your prices? Afraid not. She took her dripping finger out of the glass and sucked it noisily. 
Anna frowned in a very unzen-like way and wiped off the droplets of alcohol Angel had spilled on the shiny table. Nice. Elegant. No wonder you're still single. Angel made an uncomplimentary noise. Just don't get too drunk. I don't want to have to get Roland to pull you out of the meditation pool again. That wasn't because I was drunk. Angel raised her damp finger to object, but Anna was already on her way to serve the next customer, uninterested in feeble excuses. She lifted the deep red liquid to her lips, this time transporting it by glass rather than finger, and sucked peevishly at the rim. She was already starting to feel the buzz of the liquor, and this was only her second drink. That was one of the good things about living in zero-G for so long. Your bones and cells got weak and fragile, but you were a very cheap date for a few weeks when you got home. Nonetheless, she resolved to book in for a spin in the morning and went back to sucking on the rim of her glass. Several hours and at least three too many hull strippers later, Angel made her way back to the spaceport, ricocheting off the walls as she tried to remember which hatch opened onto her ship's airlock. Most of the berths were full now, so there was hardly anyone around. Still on duty, though, Rachel was working on a sketch of the Imperial Cutter in Bay 3 when Angel stumbled onto the control deck, tripping over the first aid crate and tumbling into the room like a Moscatelli dust devil in the reduced gravity. She came to rest eventually in an angular heap at the controller's feet. <laughs> Mission accomplished then. Rachel put aside her tablet and reached across to the coffee machine to punch in the code for sober up. Angel took a moment to figure out which way was up. It was funny how gravity could play tricks on you when it had been absent for a while, then untangled her arms and legs and struggled to her feet. Your mother's been here looking for you, Angel grimaced at both the thought of her mother and the strong black coffee Rachel had handed her. How she know where I am, ma'am? Your space book status, I guess. You know, when you post stuff there, it can be seen by everyone across the galaxy. Location coordinates and everything. Ah, oh, she... Space book. Gravity finally won the argument with Angel's legs and she stumbled backwards into a swivel chair, spinning around gracelessly while spilling coffee everywhere. Yeah, well, you might be in luck. She said she had a buyer for your cloth. She had me open the hold for one of her men. This news sobered Angel up like a slap around the face. You did what? I opened your hold and she had one of her men take the cloth. Angel sat there goldfishing at her friend, trying to make sense of things through the fog of booze. Rachel? My mother? Why would you? Rachel's brow pulled down into a cross-looking V. Her face appeared to be working its way through the alphabet today. Oh, let me think about that for a moment. Oh, yeah, she's scarier than a radioactive bra and, by the way, happens to be my boss's wife. What did you think I was going to do? I can't believe... This is my rep! Angel's words trailed off as she considered the consequences of dropping two reputation levels in one hit as well as being flat broke. I have to find her before she sells it she said as she lurched to her feet and stumbled clumsily back towards the interior of the space station, leaving the empty chair spinning in her wake. 